Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. with me to the gospel record of Luke. The gospel record of Luke in chapter number 9. The gospel record of Luke chapter number 9. We're continuing to travel with the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry as told to us through the gospel record of Luke and this very detailed account of Jesus' life. And we're now at the tail end of the life and ministry of Christ. We're still in the middle of the book. But we're seeing Jesus Christ as he's preparing now to head to Jerusalem to go to the cross. And we're going to see that he is going to give multiple warnings and multiple teachings to his disciples to try to explain to them what is going to occur and what must happen. As we continue through the gospel record of Luke in chapter number 9, we've already seen the apostles as they were sent out uh, to purposely go tell people about Christ and they did that for several months. They returned back to them. Jesus went to go set them at a separate place to give them a rest but the people followed them and they ended up having the miracle of the 5,000 and with that we saw principles that we could apply as Jesus organized those people so no one was missed and everyone was taken care of. Now we continue with the same thought in the gospel record of Luke chapter number 9 and notice with me starting at verse number 18. The gospel record of Luke chapter 9 and verse 18 the Bible says this, And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. And he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? They answering said, John the Baptist. But others say Elias. And others say, That one of the old prophets is risen again. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanding them to tell no man that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and of the scribes, and to be slain, and be raised the third day. And he said to them, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and let him take his cross daily, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words... Of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come to his own glory and his fathers and of the holy angels. But I tell you of a truth, there shall be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. And if you wouldn't mind to mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of Luke in chapter number 9. The gospel record of Luke chapter number 9. Notice what Jesus Christ had asked his disciples in verse number 20. The gospel record of Luke chapter 9 and verse 20. But whom say ye that I am? But whom say ye 
that I am. And if you don't mind, I'd like to condense the title to Who is Christ? Who is Christ? This is an important question. Who is Christ? If you wouldn't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, we're just asking that you would just give us grace and that you would give us mercy. Help us now as we open up this Bible and we see this passage here. And we see one of the most important questions, if not the most important question, that we could ask ourselves and that we could answer, who is Christ. I'm praying that we would see you high, holy, and lifted up. That we would see you as you truly are. And because of our vision of you, that we would respond properly to you. Who is Christ? Fill me with your Holy Spirit for the purpose that you would glorify your own self through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The most important question of all of human history, the most important question that any person can ask themselves, and the most important question that any Christian can ask themselves is, Who is Christ? Who is Jesus? And this answer is going to determine many things within our life. If you don't mind, as we see this, let's see how important this question is. First of all, let's see, Christ is God. Christ is God. Notice with me in verse 18. And it came to pass as he, Jesus, was alone praying. Now, Sometimes we overpass these passages where we go to the next story, the next teaching. So we almost miss this. But notice what Jesus was doing as this passage started. He was praying. In fact, this is the fourth of his seven prayers that are recorded in the gospel record of Luke. It doesn't record his actual prayer, but it's recording that he was praying. That he was found praying. And so here's the context that he's already finished feeding the 5,000. He's alone with his disciples. And the disciples are waiting for him as he's praying. And as he gets up from his knees and praying and talking to God, he now addresses his disciples. Verse 18. And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. And he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? So Jesus gets through praying, talking to his father, and as the disciples are watching, now again, let's pause. Can you imagine being there, eavesdropping as Jesus is talking to his father? Can you imagine what that would be like to listen to him talk to his heavenly father? To hear how he would speak to him. He definitely spoke differently. We'll talk more about that in a couple messages uh, further on. But the disciples were amazed by his prayer. There was something different about the way that he prayed. It wasn't, now I lay me down to sleep or rubber dub dub, thank you for this grub. It was an actual talk and conversation with his heavenly father. And as he finishes praying, this is important, he finishes praying, he's talking to his father, and his disciples are listening. What is his prayer like? What, what makes it different? There's something about this. So with that, with their hearts already prepared watching him pray, he gets up and looks at him and says, who do people say that I am? You guys have been around. You've been listening to the rumors. You've been listening to what people are saying. Who do people say that I am? Notice they answered in verse 19. They answering said John the Baptist. But some say Elias. And others say 
one of the old prophets that was risen again. Notice they gave some of these answers. Some of the people said, oh man, that Jesus, that's John the Baptist. Why was he known as John the Baptist? Well, remember John the Baptist didn't do any miracles. What was John the Baptist known for? His preaching. He's just like John the Baptist. He preaches. That's what he's known for is his preaching. Man, can you imagine what it would be like to hear Jesus preach? I mean, you're stuck with a pathetic preacher who's doing the best he can. Can you imagine what it would be like to listen to Jesus preach? And to listen to his power, listen to his authority, listen to his knowledge as it's just coming out of him. That would be amazing. Jesus was known for his preaching. Some people said, well, it's not John the Baptist. I know, it's it's Elias. Notice, and they answered, said John the Baptist, but some say Elias. Now, Elias or Elijah was known for his miracles. There were seven major miracles that, that Elijah did, and they were pretty big. And there was all minor things as well. Can you imagine standing at Mount Carmel and praying a short little prayer and fire come down from heaven when you have 400 prophets of Baal and 450 prophets that answer directly to Jezebel, all watching you waiting to fail, and fire came down? Can you imagine that he goes up to the Jordan River and just as if it was nothing and it parts? I mean, to you that'd be a big deal. But it was like nothing to him to see a boy come to life. And so people are saying, you know, that's Elias. That's Elijah because of his miracles. The miracles that happened. That Jesus guy, oh, he's one of those miracles. Just like the Old Testament. Then some said, oh, no, no, no. There's some that are saying he's like one of the old prophets risen again. What was it? Remember, like the minor prophets or the major prophets, they're all predicting things to happen. And Jesus Christ is talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about setting up his kingdom. He's talking about things yet to come. He's giving prophecy. We know that the Bible doesn't give uh, all of his discourses. He'd give some of them, but he spoke about it and talked about what would happen when Jesus comes. Talk about setting up the kingdom. Talks about heaven. And some people said, oh, he's one of those prophets. Oh, he keeps telling us about things to come. Oh, it's one of those prophets. Well, Jesus clears off a spot and he now addresses them. He says, all right, that's what people say about me. Who do you say that I am? That's a great question. But whom say ye that I am? Well, Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. The word Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is a title. It is equivalent to Messiah. He is the promised one, the anointed one, the one that it was predicted in the Old Testament. You are the Messiah of God. You are the Son of God. You are God. You're the one who meant to come. By the way, that is a right answer. Jesus Christ is God. He is God robed in flesh. But that's a question that even today people must answer. Do you know that how people see Christ is how people will respond to Christ? There are some people today that when you bring up Jesus Christ, the first image that they have in their mind is of him and a little baby. That's the only time they even think about Jesus is during Christmas time. And so they see the manger scene and they have the kids or they have the display and all they see Jesus is a little baby. Well, you understand if that's all you see Jesus is a little baby, who's afraid of a little baby? A little baby needs protected. A little baby you go, ah, oh, you're not fearful or afraid of a little baby. Some people, because of the, 
the culture that we live in and the museum and the art, they see Jesus as just the milk toast, long haired hippie guy. That's stop it guys and just the God of the man of peace that that wouldn't hurt a fly. And so they have that image there and they don't see him as the God of the universe. They don't see him as the judge and oh he just has a nice message and if he just has a nice message and can't back it up then oh who's afraid of him. By the way may I just kick this dog while I'm here. He didn't have long hair. That was a Someone's misinterpretation of Nazarene between a Nazarite. Nazarite is where he was from. He was from the city of Nazareth. He did not take the vow of a Nazarite as given in the Old Testament. He was a Nazarene, sorry. And so someone mixed those together. By the way, he wasn't some wimpy little guy. How do I know? Well, remember when he drove out the money changers? He had that whip. They ran from him. Why? Because he looked like he could hurt them. If some wimpy guy went in there and said, stop it guys, stop it. And flip. Nobody would run from them. Get away here, peep squeak. You know why they ran from him? Because they thought he could do something to him. Uh, might as well have fun. In the gospel record of Luke, it shows Jesus Christ as the perfect man, according to the Greek mind. The Greeks were always looking for the perfect man. In order to be considered part of the perfect man in Greek culture, you had to work out an hour every day. You had to keep your body in subjection. So again, he is not a small guy. We have history to kind of show this, not what the current culture uh, pictures of him is. But some people see him as a wrong image, as some the, the man of peace, and not the God of the universe and not the one who's going to judge us. And so his, his teachings are nice and love. And if there's something I don't like, I don't, what, what's he going to do about it? They see that's how Jesus is. There are some people, the only vision of Jesus they have is him nailed up on the cross. And they have the image of him on the cross. And he's suffering, shamed and humiliating. He's the suffering savior. The one that we have sympathy over. But they don't see him as the one who is our judge. They see him as someone that we feel sorry for. You see, how you answer this question really determines how you respond to him. What is the correct answer? Jesus Christ is God. He is God. He is the Savior of the world. He is the one who created the world. Colossians is very clear that it is by Him all things consist and without Him nothing can consist. He's the one who spoke the worlds into existence. And it is Him that we will have to stand. And it is at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that He is Lord. Who is Jesus? He is God. And remember how people see Jesus is how they respond to him. We have to have the right view of who Christ is. We must have the Christ of the Bible. Remember that the gospel, the, John the Apostle writes often in the book of John. Speaks about the spirit of Antichrist. The word anti. Christ, when he deals with that, he's not speaking about a person. He's speaking about a spirit of Antichrist. Some people see the word anti and they automatically assume that it means against. But the word anti actually means to replace. 
And the spirit of Antichrist that we live in is the spirit in the age where people replace the Christ of the Bible with the Christ of their own image. The Christ of their own vision. And that's why this question is so important in this day and age. Because we live in the spirit of Antichrist. Where people have replaced the Christ of the Bible with the Christ of Hollywood. They replace the Christ of the Bible with the Christ of their favorite gospel song. They replace the Christ of the Bible with the Christ of their own image and their own making. Whereas this is the most important question. Who is Christ? Who is Christ? The correct answer is that He is God. He is the Christ of God. He is the Son of the living God. Jesus Christ, when He heard, asked this question, Peter got the right answer. Peter answering and said, The Christ of God. And straightly He charged them and commanded them to tell no man the thing. We'll get into that in just a second. But Jesus Christ is God and Peter got the right answer. We're thankful for it. Which brings us to the second thing here. That Christ died for sinners. Who is Christ? He's the Christ who died for sinners. 21, and he, Jesus, straightly charged them. He commanded them, told them, encouraged them, and commanded them to tell no man that thing. Why not? Well, notice it continues on with a thought. Saying, continuing, he told them, don't tell anybody about this. Saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes. And be slain and be raised the third day. Now, he told them point blank what was going to happen. It's amazing later on the disciples didn't think it happened. But this is as clear as clear can be. Boys, I'm going to Jerusalem. When I get to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest me. They're going to try me. I'm going to suffer many things. And I am going to die. And by the way, boys, when I say I'm going to be slain, that means dead, dead. Not partially dead, not fainting. Dead, dead. And I'm going to be risen again the third day. Boys, I want you to keep this to yourself right now. And I want you to keep it in mind because I don't want anything to interrupt Now, why would he say this? Well, if you go to the gospel record of John in your reading, you'll see many times in the early ministry of Jesus, they tried to force the kingdom upon him. They tried to to make him the king right then and there. And you'll see the phrase, my hour has not yet come. He said, this isn't the time. This isn't the right way. I have to go to the cross. We can't bypass this. He says, boys, I'm telling you this. Keep this under your hats right now because I don't want anything to stop us, anything to get in the way. I have to go there. This is the plan. Remember that Jesus dying on the cross was never plan B. It was always the plan. Remember Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. What does that mean? That means that God had it in mind that Jesus was going to die on the cross before he created man. He didn't say, oh no, I created man and they messed up. What am I going to do? He said, I create man and because I created him with free will, I know they're going to mess up. But because I love them, I've already put a plan in place to forgive them of their sins. Because he's God. This is the son of man who came and he died for our sins. He told them, this is what's going to happen. 
The Son of Man must suffer many things. May I remind you that he suffered like no man? The book of Isaiah chapter 52 says that he was so beat up that you couldn't even tell he was a man anymore. He was so abused and so beaten. Remember that when people put, when the Roman soldiers put people on the cross, people on the cross usually were not scourged and beaten beforehand. He had several death sentences placed upon him and he endured all of it. He suffered like no man. He suffered many things. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. He had to suffer that because that's what our sin deserved. And remember that when he died on the cross, the worst thing that happened to him was not the suffering, was not the bleeding, was not the beating, was not the nails. It was because God at that point in time turned his back on Christ. And because of our sin, we deserve to be separated from a holy God. And Jesus suffered all of those things. And those things must have happened. We could not get to heaven if it was not for the shedding of blood. If it was not for Jesus, there was no hope for us. Who is Christ? He's the one who voluntarily died in my place. And by the way, Jesus knew what was going to happen. If you were going to be told you're going to be in a horrible car accident tomorrow, you do everything you could not to go to it. Jesus knew what was going to happen and he went anyways. And he said, boys, keep this under your hat. I'm glad that you know who I am. Now, we have to do this. This is what must happen. I'm going to the cross because I want to save the whole world. Who is Jesus? He's the one who died for our sins. He died for sinners. Something else we see here is not only that Jesus is God and we see Jesus is the God who died for sinners, but we also learn something else. Jesus is worth following. Jesus is is worth following. Notice with me if you don't mind in verse 23. And he said to them all. So he's speaking to his disciples. And he's speaking to them all. If any man will come after me. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Now our Christian culture has has taken this phrase, take up his cross daily, and they make it as a nice little uh, cliche. You get it on a pillow. Take up your cross. There are times that a wife will look at her husband and say, I'm just burying my cross today. Or maybe, you know, we use that as, as such a cliche thing. But let me tell you, it meant something completely different back in those days. Now, Jesus is now changing their view. The Jewish people at this time was expecting their Messiah to come down and overthrow the Roman Empire. And when they overthrew the Roman Empire, that the Messiah was going to set up Jerusalem as the capital, and he was going to impose and force Jewish culture and custom upon the whole world. And that's what people were expecting. God's going to come back. We're looking forward to the Messiah. We hate this government. We can't wait till it's overthrown. God's going to send his Messiah and he's going to overthrow it. We're going to rule and we don't have to change. And that's the problem. Because they had the wrong view of who the Messiah was. They had the idea that the Messiah was going to endorse their behavior in the way that they lived. When in fact... If we are truly see Christ as it truly is, that our life is not going to be a life of ease, but instead, it's a life of the cross. Now notice again, 
It says in verse 23, He said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now remember, he is speaking to the disciples. They don't have a Christian culture. They don't have the cute little cross up on the wall. They don't have a little pillowcase that says, take up your cross. They don't have a nice screensaver that wrote, says, take up the cross. When someone in the world said, take up the cross, they would point to a criminal who was carrying a beam on his back. And when they saw someone carrying his cross, they knew a couple things. First of all, that man was never coming back. Why? Because that man was going to die. When that man would carry his cross, he would be crucified, placed up on the cross until he is dead. So when Jesus is talking to them, it is not in a post-Christian era. He's saying, boys, that there is what you need to do daily. You need to go die. Now this destroys our Christian culture immediately. Because we want happiness. We want roses. We want sunshine. We want puppy dog kisses. We want... An easy life. No, no. The Christian life, if you see God as who he truly is, is a life where you die daily. What does it mean? You die to your wants, your desires, your plans. When someone was going to the cross, they didn't plan for dinner the next day. They didn't plan their future. They definitely weren't getting their ambitions and their goals accomplished. Wait, wait, wait. Before I go up here, let me accomplish this first. No, that meant all of that had to die. That if we see Christ as God, then we must deny ourselves. Lord, it's no longer my plans, it's your plans. It's no longer my wants, it's your wants. It's no longer my life, I'm now giving it to you. It's not mine. Now remember, the most important question that we could ask ourselves before we're saved is who is Christ? But let me tell you, it's even more important after we're saved because it determines what we do with the life that we have. Is Jesus Christ God? Did he save me from my sins? And will I have to face him one day? Is this Jesus Christ, is his love for me worth it? That's the question we have to ask. Who is Christ? Now, if you have a wrong view of Christ, what, what do you mean suffer? What do you mean deny? I, I want my plans, my things. Well, then you're not seeing Christ as the Christ as the Bible. Jesus Christ is God. He's the one that's going to judge the world. He's the one who died on the cross for our sins. And he said that if you're going to follow me, he'll have to deny himself. And if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross daily. Every day you're going to have to die. Paul said, I die daily. He got that from here. I die every day to my desires, my wants, my ambitions, my goals, my plans. They're no longer mine. It's Christ. He says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Verse 24, he explains it more. He says, for what is a man, oh, sorry, verse 24, for whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, 
the same shall save it. What does this mean? It means that you're going to live your life either for yourself or live it for Christ. You're going to give your life to something. Some people give their life to make as much money as possible. That's what they give their life to. Some people give their life uh, to a cause. Some people give their life to the kids. And when their kids go away, they have no life left. There are some people who give everything to a different cause. You're going to give your life to something. There are some people that give their life to nothing. But you're going to give your life to something. But Jesus said, if you give your life to me, then at the very end, you're going to gain more than you can imagine. Why? Why can he say that? I mean, I had 80 years at best in my life today. If I live 80 years, it's doing great. You want me to waste it by going to church, by praying, by following after you? And then when I'm 80, what do I get out of it? I mean, is it going to be worth it all? Yes. You understand because there's another world after this. A thing called the millennial kingdom where Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign on this earth. And every one of us who were faithful to God during this time, our faithfulness during this time is determining what we do for him in the millennial kingdom. May I say there's going to be a lot of street sweepers? Because they didn't trust God with their life that God couldn't trust them with authority and position later on. We'll talk more about the millennial kingdom next year in detail. But this is a big deal. You're going to give your life. If you choose to take your life now, I'm going to use it for me. I'm going to make me happy. I'm going to get my goals accomplished. Then let me tell you, a thousand years is a long time. A thousand years where you're set aside and said, I'm sorry, I couldn't trust you. There's a lot to it. You're either going to give your life to Christ now and enjoy it for a thousand years or try to enjoy what meager existence this has now and then find out that you wasted it and you could do nothing to get it back. That's a big deal. And it all goes with the one question, who is Christ? Notice as it goes on, verse number 25. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Now imagine, someone saved Let's just give the benefit of the doubt. They're saved. But they give their life to get as much riches as possible. And now you have so much money that your grandkids can never spend it all. Congratulations! You can't bring it with you. And you go into the millennial kingdom giving your life to get some cause to some purpose. And you can't bring it with you and found out that it was all a waste. All a waste. I gave myself to a cause, to a purpose. I tried to have as many toys. I tried to have... And then found out that it didn't matter to anything. You don't see a U-Haul following behind a hearse. You can't take it with you. And found out that all those things were worthless. And what's worse to be cast aside and say, I'm sorry, I can't use you because you wouldn't trust me. Stay over there. And realize that you could have done so much more for his kingdom. And you didn't. Notice as it goes on. Now this is serious things. He ties it into verse number 26. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me. Notice this. And my words. Of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed. When he shall come into his own glory. Notice this person that's speaking of is saved. They're going to heaven. 
Not everyone is going to enter heaven with the same fanfare. Here it says that if they were ashamed of me, they didn't want to live for me, they didn't want to obey the Lord, they didn't answer the question properly, who is Christ? Oh, he's not a big deal. I don't have to follow him. Oh, no big deal at all. When they get up to glory, God's going to say, I'm glad you made it. I wish you weren't ashamed of me. Come on in. I mean, they made it. Praise the Lord. They made it to heaven. But Jesus said, I wish you loved me. I wish you would have trusted me. I wish you would have cared. I wish you weren't ashamed. I'm so thankful that there's so many times in the Bible that says that if we wait on him, we shall not be ashamed. If we follow him, we shall not be ashamed. If we trust in him, we not should be ashamed. When does that come to play here? When you come to cross, God says, I'm so glad it was worth it for you to read your Bible. It was worth it for you to be faithful in church. It was worth it for you to obey the Bible. You're not going to be ashamed. You're not going to see Jesus and say, oh no, I messed up. Huh. You know what? This is real after all. And I missed out on so much. You know, you can be saved and still miss out on so much on the other life. I mean, praise the Lord that you're there. You'll have a brand new perfect body. Thank the Lord for that. But the millennial kingdom is a big deal. And so many passages, so many parables of Jesus tries to emphasize this one thing. This warning here. What we do in this life matters. And how do, where do we start off with? Who is Jesus? Who is Christ? Verse 27. He now addresses it to his disciples. But I tell you a truth. There shall be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. By the way, that's the Apostle John. Apostle John, did you know that he actually got to participate in the rapture? He was part of the rapture. He was called away. He was, he was at a different time than us, but he got called away, part of the rapture, and he got to witness all these things happen. And God said, write this down, John. Oh, what is this? He says, I don't know exactly what this is, but I'm writing it down the best they can. And he tries to record it from his little first century eyes and trying to understand post 21st. You know, they have CNN back then and they have news cameras. We'll see that in the book of Revelation where the whole world is watching the two witnesses. Could you imagine a first century man trying to explain how the whole world is seeing this event at the same time? I don't know how this works, but the whole world is watching and they're celebrating and then they're all scared when they walk up. The whole, it wasn't like several days later when the world heard about it. They all watched it and they were all scared at the same time. He was part of it trying to explain it. And God says, I know there's some of you. You're not going to die till you... And imagine that promise there. And John, when he watches all the rest of the disciples go away and he's the last one left and still remembering this promise, Lord, you promised that I'm not going to die until I see the kingdom. It wasn't until he was 90 years old that that came to cross. Do you think it was worth it for John, all the things that he suffered, to see that? Do you think it motivated him a little bit later when he came back and said, let me tell you, I saw a little bit of the other side. It is worth it. All the things that he suffered, that ties into here. It is worth it. 
It is worth it to serve God. You're not losing anything when you said, you know what? I'm going to go to church on Wednesday instead of do this. You are not losing anything when you said, I choose to read my Bible, then check my Facebook post. You are not losing anything when you take a good season of prayer and put everything aside and close the closet door and turn off your phone and say, I'm going to spend some time with the Lord. You're not losing a single thing. You're not losing a single thing when you said, you know what? The best I know how I'm going to obey the Bible. And I may not be perfect and I may fail, but I'm going to do my best. You're not going to lose anything when you deserve I'm going to serve God. It's not wasted time and it's not a wasted life. There was a man who was a missionary out in Africa and he was there for a while. And he had a native who was a good friend of his. He wasn't saved and... His uh, unsaved native friend came to him once and said, Missionary, you ever think about that you've left everything in America and you came down to our country and you gave up comfort, you gave up wealth, and you came down and lived just like we did and living poor? And the man was discerning enough to understand that the missionary just wasn't upscaling. He had downscaled to try to be a missionary. And he says, you, you look at all this and you're old and... You lived all your life here. Do you ever think about that if you're wrong, you've wasted your entire life? The missionary said, yeah, I can understand that. But you understand that if I'm right and you're wrong, you've wasted all of eternity. You understand you choose which life to live for. You live for this life now, you'll lose out in the next. Or you could choose to lose out in this life, to lose your life, to give it to God, to allow God to use it however you see fit. And you'll gain so much more. But it all centers on one question. One central question. Who is Christ? Now if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let me tell you. You have to answer that question for yourself. Who is Christ? The Christ of the Bible loved you so much that he died on the cross to pay for your sins. And pay for the sins of the whole world. To give you full forgiveness of your sins. Full, free, and forever. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'd love to introduce you. I'd love for you to meet him personally. And how you can know for sure that your sins are forgiven. But for those of you who are saved. Which is most of this audience. I want to go beyond salvation and I want to ask you the question, who is Christ? Is the Christ of the Bible real? Is he God? Is he the one who's going to, you're going to stand before one day? Is he the one that you're going to have to give an account to your life? Is that a real event? Is that true? May I just be honest? There are times as a pastor that I'm so brokenhearted when I see people that come to church and then they leave and never come back. And I go to visit them and I feel like, you know, do you understand what a big decision this is? Is Christ real? Do you understand? You're giving up so much more than you know just to have a little pleasure right now. Just a little bit of free time now. And it's heartbreaking to see that they're not seeing that this is a big deal, a huge deal. It's not just a small thing. It's not, an, it's not a thing. Well, it's what you guys do. Let me tell you, it's all about who is Christ. And the Christ of the Bible is real. And we're going to stand before him and we're going to give an account. And let me tell you that when we live for Christ, we'll, we'll be able to say, it will be worth it all. When I see Jesus. And let me tell you it will be worth it. You will not be ashamed. If you decide to give your life to God. However. 
If you decide that you're going to hog up your life, that you're going to do whatever you want, you'll just show up at church and just check off the box. One day you're going to stand before God. And I think the most horrible feeling is to be able to look at him and see him hang his head and be ashamed of you because you are ashamed of him. Who is Christ? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.